games anymore. You have to think this might be his last year on the flats. And remember when Bobby Cremins took over? And I, I remember uh, I remember the Dwayne Morrison years at Georgia Tech. They had Brooks Steppy and Sammy Drummer. Where's the Sammy Drummond? And they played the old Metro Conference, and they were eh, mediocre. Then Bobby Crimmins comes in, and he's able to recruit Mark Price out of Enid, Oklahoma. You get Bruce Dalrymple, you get John Sally, and then he started getting those New York point guards, Stephon Marbury, of course, Kenny Anderson. And that place was the place to be. And Georgia Tech was so relevant in the ACC back then that whenever North Carolina came to town, they played at the Omni because the ticket demand was through the roof. But now McCamish, what does it hold, 10,000? There might be 1,000 people going to those games now, which is sad. And basketball in this state has been pretty sad Collegiately speaking, for a while, when it comes to uh, Georgia and Georgia Tech, Georgia State usually gives us hope they're having a down year this year. You have that one year Mercer beat Duke, which was amazing. But as for Tech and Georgia, it's just it's just not going well. But this year, it's a little different, though. Mike White is actually uh, has Georgia playing pretty well. And of course, they uh, they seem to have owned Bruce Pearl. Mike White does. What is he nine and six against uh, Bruce Pearl? And, of course, they did get routed by uh, Tennessee, and Kentucky beat them as well. But right now, Georgia's what? They're 4-6, and 11-0. Overall, what is Georgia overall? 14-9, and 4-6 and six in the conference. I mean, this is a team that's got a chance to make some noise in the SEC tournament. But look at Alabama and Tennessee, though. Alabama, 20-3 overall, 10-0 in the conference. You got Tennessee at 19-4, 8-2 in the conference. Alabama looks like a Final Four team which is amazing. Kentucky, they're 16-7 and seven overall, 7-3, and three, and people are really unhappy at John Calipari up there. They're getting kind of restless because, you know, you know how important uh, Kentucky basketball is. But Mike White is doing a pretty good job at Georgia. Maybe they can make some uh, noise in the SEC tournament. But as for Georgia Tech, it just seems awful. And it seems like that whole sports program. And Georgia Tech has some financial issues too. They have – there is so much debt on buildings that were built like 20 years ago, are probably aged now, aging infrastructure and everything else, they're still paying off those things. 14% of their revenue is going towards debt management, which means they don't have the money that other schools has. Their facilities aren't quite as good by any stretch of the imagination. So maybe that's why Brent Key is the perfect fit for that football program, certainly. You get the quarterback from Texas A&M, had a decent recruiting class, you're getting some guys in the portal, and uh, – I'm going to take full credit for that because I remember I was on here the day where it was rumored that the Tulane coach was going to take the job at Georgia Tech. Then all of a sudden, negotiations stopped, and I was pleading for Brent Key to get that gig. Because who better to run that program than somebody that knows the ins and outs of that program? All of it has all the passion that he has, and up. There was some friend of mine, I can't remember who told me this, but when Brent Key was on George O'Leary's staff, of course he played for George O'Leary at Georgia Tech, when he was on his staff down in Central Florida, Brent Key was always inquiring about how is Georgia Tech doing, how is Georgia Tech doing. So as far as the uh, passion element, that can go a long way, and Georgia Tech needs somebody passionate to get them relevant again. And uh, credit to him, I think the notion that they absolutely did they outplayed Georgia in the first half of that game up in Athens. You can say what you want. They did. Kirby Smart even admitted it. 
Georgia Tech was the more physical team. Had a brief lead. Then, of course, class and depth just kind of won out for Georgia eventually when Georgia stopped being bored or when they got when they got punched in the mouth and that woke them up a little bit. But it would just be nice, though, just for once, if Georgia and Georgia Tech could be in the NCAA tournament. There are years that that happened. I mean, Tubby Smith had a great run at Georgia. Of course, Bobby Crimmins do. Paul, Paul Hewitt did as well until he kind of got burned out. And I think that what happened with Paul Hewitt was he was such a micromanager over every aspect of that program. The overall product suffered, but he was such a control freak. He kind of burned himself out. But credit to him, though, for the longest time, though, I think it was Siena and Georgia Tech, after he got fired from both jobs, they were both still paying him. What a country. Get fired from two gigs, and you're getting about $2 million a year just to go away, basically. And I think his salary is finally off the books, though, as of, what, a couple of years ago. But at Georgia Tech, there's no excuse for them not to be more, especially with NIL now. I mean, this is one of the most vibrant business climates in the country. Oh, my gosh, you have UPS based here, Delta based here, Home Depot based here. Not to mention all the small businesses that seem to be thriving as well. Somehow there has to be some way to get a NIL. Well, Brent Key's going to have to have the money to probably hire a staff to handle that, like Georgia. Georgia has endless staff. Kirby Smart, when he took the job, they gave him everything he wanted. I mean, that football staff, I think there's 500 people on that football staff up at the University of Georgia, I think. Brent Key's not going to have that luxury. But Georgia Tech has to really enhance the NIL opportunities because they, they abound here in Atlanta. Is there, there's no excuse for it not to be more so. I mean, speaking of that, they just, you know, last what last year they built an arena, 17th and Market Street, right there yep. for overtime elite. Yeah. And there's two kids who are projected to go top 10 in the NBA draft. Really? From that program. Did not know that. Yeah. Huh. So, you know, where is the disconnect there? I know. You know, and obviously Overtime Elite has, you know, certain, you know, uh, uh, incentives for kids who go there. But, you know, if you're Georgia Tech basketball, you said, where's the NIL money? What are you doing to get these kids onto campus? Yep. As opposed to have them go five minutes up the road. And play at Atlantic Station. Right, right. There you go. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. But he just doesn't have the luxury of having that staff to do it. And there's so many dire financial, bad bad decisions were made incurring all that debt. And it's a shame, but I still expect maybe eight wins from Georgia Tech this year in a bowl game. That'd be great. And I think Brent Key is the guy for the job, certainly. It's his dream job. It's where he played under uh, George O'Leary. But it'd be nice if uh, – they were relevant again. It, it, it's fun. There was one, I think it was 19, what was it, 1952. Georgia Tech won the uh, national championship in football, and there's pictures and even some videos. 100,000 people on Peachtree Street celebrating that for Georgia Tech national championship. And not to mention how sexy Tech basketball was. Well, college basketball in general, though. Lost a lot of luster college basketball. That's because of the one-and-done stuff, and that's fine. Go pursue the NBA if you can get there. But it's kind of a killed the personality of the game, though. I mean, think about Ralph Sampson staying for four years at Virginia. All those guys staying back in the day. Yes, granted, they had to, but it made the product more interesting because you had those personalities. You knew who was going to be coming into uh, 
then it was Alexander Coliseum. The Thriller Dome is what they used to call it. Now they might as well just have funerals there and wakes. That's how bad it is. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely true. It's a triple in for a Chuckery, taking you up to uh, 11 o'clock. And uh, we're going to come back next. going to do an index. And this is where I just come up with the most. How about this? Imagine you are the wealthiest criminal ever. And you happen to be thriving in a country that allowed you to build your own prison if you turned yourself in. And what's that got to do with Diego Maradona? I'll tell you all that next. Sports Radio 1990 game. Attention, adoring fans. Back to more John Chuckery. Hey, folks, how you doing? Sports Radio 92.9, the game. It looks like opening night of the uh, Super Bowl is on. We got Michael Irvin interviewing uh, Jalen Hurts. Maybe we can uh, poach some of that sound for a little bit later on. I guess that's a different thing. They start that last year. It used to be Tuesday was the big media day. Of course, they're talking about Jalen Hurts' journey. Benched during that 2018 National Championship game. And Tua comes in and uh, throws that miraculous pass to beat Georgia. Then the following year... Jalen comes in and helps Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship game that year, then goes to uh, Oklahoma. And Nick Saban had a lot of good things to say about, before we get into the index, that is, Nick Saban had a lot of good things to say about uh, Jalen Hurts, of course. When he first got there, he just basically told him, you can't rely on your feet, work on your accuracy and your reads. And uh, he also recommended that he should go to Oklahoma if he's going to transfer because Lincoln Riley is such a great quarterback coach with a couple of Heisman Trophy winners to, to prove that point, basically. So, this is the uh, index. This is where I just bring up a bunch of extremely random things that had, that are all across the human landscape. I'm going to start off with this one. 0-9. 0-9. Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, Luke Fickle, Jim Harbaugh are all combined 0-9 against Kirby Smart. And how about this one? This I love this one. Diego Maradona, of course, a legendary Argentinian uh, soccer player, led them to the uh, World Cup in 1986, famously scored the hand of God goal. And, of course, the officials were not in position to see that he clearly scored that goal with his hand. And uh, the hand of God phrase was coined basically by Maradona himself. He, uh, (laughs) He basically said that goal was scored a little bit with Maradona's head, a little bit with the hand of God. Well, in 1991, Diego Maradona says that Pablo Escobar invited him to play football with him, soccer, in prison. Played a match, and this is him saying this, we played a match, everyone had fun. Later, this is in prison, we partied with the most beautiful women I have ever seen in my entire life. All this in prison. I couldn't believe it, he said. And what happened was, <clears throat> of course, Argentina, that was their uh, second World Cup title, matching the one in 78. And, of course, they won their third this year. Pablo Escobar's net worth, when he uh, was shot and killed back in 93, $30 billion. And his brother estimated that they had to uh, write off 10% annually because they had so much cash, they had nowhere to store it. They were losing 
10% of their annual income due to uh, being destroyed by elements or eaten by rats. That's how much money he had. What I think just for a second that his brother's name was estimated. (laughs) His brother estimated. I'm like, that's a strange name. Oh, okay. His brother estimated Escobar. (laughs) Imagine that. $30 billion, wealthiest criminal ever. And uh, basically what happened was, in 1991, Escobar offered to turn himself in if he were allowed to build his own prison. Well, Columbia is so corrupt, they agreed. So he built his own prison, and it featured a nightclub, a sauna, a beautiful waterfall, impeccably landscaped in a, in a soccer field. So how about this for a quote? Back in a 2020, Mark Cuban, if I had to choose between my wife and keeping Luca on the Mavs, catch me at my lawyer's office preparing for a divorce. <laughs> well, he's, of course, still married to his wife, though. How about this one? Of the 30 fastest 100-meter sprint times, 21 of the 30 were run by athletes who tested positive for PEDs. The other nine were white guys. (laughs) (laughs) Usain Bolt. (laughs) Just once. Just once can I see the white guy win the 100 meters. That'd be hilarious, but nope. You see them running as hard as they can, but they just uh, get dusted. 30 fastest 100-meter sprint times. 21 were run by athletes who tested positive for PEDs. The other nine were Usain Bolt. How about this? And this is no shock here at all, by the way. 93% of people don't check facts they read on the Internet. What a shocker. You wonder how divided we are. 93% of people don't check facts they read on the Internet. But you got to realize this, though. 90% of the media... Is controlled by just six corporations, AT&T, CBS, Comcast, News Corp, Viacom, and Disney. Six corporations control 90% of the media. And think about this, and this is, a, this is, this is an actual statement. 1981, CIA Director William Casey, Bill Casey, said, quote, we'll know Our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. So clearly, no need to check facts. I mean, fact checkers, that's what I love, fact checkers. Who do you think the fact checkers are? It's the media that's controlled by those six big corporations. How about this one? You remember Ricky Henderson, the Hall of Fame baseball player known for a stolen base record. Great player, great player. Legend has it, someone quoted John 3.16 from the Bible to Baseball Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson, to which he replied, Ricky don't want to hear about John hitting 3.16. Ricky, Ricky's hitting 3.30. <laughs> yeah, I love Ricky. I, I love the third person with Ricky Henderson. It was amazing. And plus, when he, uh, when he got the, uh, you got to find this, when he uh, broke the stolen base record, he just held up the base. I'm the greatest of all time. <laughs> I saw, and I don't know, like I said, like you, like, like you said about people checking the facts when yeah. they see things on the internet, I saw a stat the other day uh, that a player would have to steal 50 bases for like 25 years just to get to wow. where Ricky Henderson crazy? is. There's just some... to get to where Ricky Henderson's record. That's crazy. Something off the top of my I cannot remember the exact number, but if Tony Gwynn went 0 for his uh, 
last 1,000, something like that, he'd still be a 300 hitter. Something absurd like that. I don't know the precise number, but you get just how good Tony Gwynn was. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see players like that, especially with Ricky Henderson and his mm-hmm. ability to steal bases. But you know, luckily the stolen base is going to be back this year, though. You think so? Well, yeah, of course, because you have limited numbers of throws to first base that will be allowed. Oh, okay. That's going to open up the run game, and I think that's more fun. I think home runs get to be boring after a while, especially now. A strikeout isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, everything thing is about exit velocity, launch angle, and all that stuff. Home run or nothing, that's what it turned into. I still think baseball is a beautiful sport. You get the leadoff guy on, he's still second. You might even bunt him to third and the fly ball scores him, or he scores on a single from second. Manufacture yeah, you runs. Manufacture are, your runs. It's a thing of beauty. Now, what's your take, Rob, real quick, on the, uh, the extra innings? rules i hate that you do oh i can't stand it with the runner on i would say maybe do that in the 13th inning but don't do it right away no i I think that's ridiculous and plus it just throws a wrench in stats and everything else but i guess that doesn't matter anymore okay and that's how we're not gonna be able to recognize who a hall of famer is anymore yeah but i hated that i hate that rule thankfully they don't do it in the postseason though and of course braves pitchers and catchers are reporting a week from a, a week from today believe it or not it's gonna be that time but um, and the bases are going to be bigger this year. That's fine. I have no. It's going to look a little weird at first, but you get used to it. I remember when. I think it was Fox was the first uh, broadcasting entity for sports to actually have a score, have the score posted at all times during a game. Before that, you didn't have it. And I remember I, I hated it at first because it, it covered up part of the screen. But now I can't live without. Now I can't stand not knowing what the score is. But back then, like, well. If you're watching the game, you know what the score is. Well, I was kind of misguided on that, but that was kind of an interesting thing. You ever wonder what is used? If you're watching a movie and they're doing coke, you ever wonder what is used as cocaine in movies depicting its use? Now, sometimes I wouldn't be surprised I if I think I know the thing. answer. What do you think it might be? Isn't it like milk powder? Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Very good, sir. You went up. You want a John Chuckery pen and pencil set. Give it to and me. And a bucket full of pride. Yep. Give it to me. Powdered lactose. It's harmless to snort because it's a milk product. Yep. I still wouldn't want to snort it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's harmless, though. I'm sure at times, because there's actually been movies where the sex was real, too, and it's not outside yeah. of porn. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's been yeah. movies where. And I can say, you know, wholeheartedly, I've never snorted anything in my life. So that's, yep. that's kind well, of Well, you're a, a big a needle fear. guy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. But just the, the the idea of snorting something just yeah you just uh, you can't I just stand. can't no you think that's insane so weird you, huh? it's so weird well I only did it because I like the smell back way back <laughs> in the day way back in the day the funny thing about coke is back in the day nobody really thought it was addictive I mean it was nothing there's been a, I heard some there was some woman she was an actress because yeah every time I go to the uh, salon they just give me a little bump just to kind of pep me up a little bit and nobody realized. How addictive it was, in fact. And now, and I this is what scares because my daughter's a, a sophomore to UNC Chapel Hill. And uh, I know she's going to party and stuff like that. Stay away. N- doing coke now is playing Russian roulette. Oh, yeah, with the fentanyl, fentanyl and everything yeah. that's mixed in And there. it takes just a tiny amount to kill you. And I told her, please, don't, don't, don't. Smoke your weed. I, I, I can't control that. Yeah. You're drinking, but please. Don't do that. She says it's not very prevalent up there. She says actually George is a big cocaine school now. 
University of Georgia is. Athens, yeah, Clemson I can see that. Clemson was a big that. pot school back in the day. I can day. see Athens yeah. being being the cocaine school. Yeah, but it, it's terrifying <laughs> though, man. And I have friends who do it now too. I I, I don't can't I even, don't do it. I don't do it. I couldn't even like I. For me, you know, I'm 41 years old. Like, yeah, I don't even. It's not really on my radar, so I don't really know like how you know prevalent it is. But for me, it doesn't really feel like it's that bad. We hear about the opioid epidemic yeah, and people taking pills and stuff like that, but yeah, it's only about it feels 30, like cocaine's like slept swept under the rug. Right, it, it's kind of made a comeback though, I think. But now, it, it is playing Russian roulette, man. It, it's so dangerous and scary. But I remember when I did try it, and this was a long time ago. And thankfully, I go, wow, this is awesome. This is so good. I will never do this again. I can totally see how people get addict, addicted to it. You feel like Superman. I feel like I could, I could run a 4-3, win the NBA slam dunk competition, and, and, and score any chick in the bar. I mean, it, that's how it was. But it's so dangerous now, though. So there you have it as far as that goes. So we're doing the uh, index right here. How about this? this I do want to a- see Cocaine Bear, though. Have you seen the previews for that? I I heard about that movie. It's a true story. It is. I've got to see that. The, uh, the, the trailer looks hilarious. Of, how much cocaine did he ingest? Do you remember? They didn't say. I don't. I didn't see like the actual. I heard it a story, but I, it, it was a pounds. good amount. Like yeah. it was a really good amount. But the the trailer for the movie just looks absolutely insane. <laughs> Can you imagine? Before his before his uh, chest cavity just exploded. Imagine a, a crazed bear on cocaine. Good lord. <laughs> That's absurd. How about this story? This in 1994, and this is kind of graphic and uh, disturbing. There was a woman named Allison Botha, and she was abducted at knife point by two men outside of her South African home, raped, disemboweled, almost decapitated, left her for dead. Didn't die. This took a turn. Yes, it did. Wow. She didn't die. She overheard... The killer's names, she held her organs in one hand and wrote the names of the killers in her blood in the other hand. Man, this got really yes, yes. really fast. But she, but she survived it, though. Wrote the names of her attackers in her own blood. And when she did escape, because they, they had by then gone, they fled the scene, thought she was dead. She basically had to hold her head in place. Good Lord. And her organs in one hand. When did this happen? 1994 in South Africa. Look it up. And she's still alive today? Still alive. Wow. She went on to write a book about that ordeal, and there's a documentary about it as well. And Now, of course, both attackers are uh, serving life in prison. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. That's, that's so horrific. Basically having to hold your head in place and holding your organs in your hand, writing the names of your attackers in blood. That's just uh, give me the heebie-jeebies. I know it, it, it's crazy. That's crazy. How about this quickly? There was a soccer match in 1934. I think it was in England. The fog was so bad, the match had to be delayed 30 minutes. But the goalie had no, one of the goalies had no idea, so he's standing out there trying to play his position and trying to see, but he's the only one out there on the field. Nobody wanted to tell him. Nobody. No one wanted to say, "Hey." Well, they they couldn't see that he was still out there. <laughs> Uh, oh, man. We're going to try to go uh, get you some of this uh, Super Bowl uh, sound from uh, opening night if uh, if Josh wants. If you don't want to, that's fine. It's a leisurely night doing the John Chuckley show, but that's what's going on as both teams are now in uh, Arizona getting ready for that extravaganza on Sunday. Come back. Let's talk a little Falcons, shall we? Draft is looming on April 27th. What are their needs? Well, everything, basically.
Sports Radio 929 again. It's John Chuckery. Are you sure? Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Rob Tribble in for uh, John Chuckery. And uh, Senior Bowls this weekend, and I'm telling you, this Keon White kid out of Georgia Tech, 24 years old. I guess nobody's making fun of him for being old like they did Stetson Bennett, but I guess he's a year younger, so he's still okay. I never understood that, though, by the way. The whole thing, well, he's 25. Well, so what? There are no rules in the NCAA. You can be as old as you want and play football. There are no rules, age limitations for uh, intercollegiate athletics. And it's like Stetson Bennett at the age of uh, 25 is so much more physically mature than the guys that are five times bigger than he is, which is interesting. But I do wonder, though, why Stetson Bennett decided to not take part in the uh, Senior Bowl. There could be a myriad of reasons, maybe a lingering injury, something like that. He's just going to rely on the uh, combine and, I guess, his pro days as well. But certainly a great story. Then, of course, he goes out there to uh, Dallas and gets a uh, public drunkenness uh, charge against him. And that didn't reflect well upon him, but, you know, we've all – We've all made mistakes like that, so I hope they don't condemn him too much for it. But as for Keon White, very interesting story. Number one, 6'5", 290, freakish athlete, absolutely freakish athlete. And there was a game against Virginia this year. He was running step for step with this University of Virginia running back down the sidelines on a wheel route, I think. And right now the – Think about Keon White, and his stock is going up and up and up and up and up because he's such a tantalizing uh, prospect. But his technique is kind of raw, though, because he came out of high school as a three-star tight end. Went to Old Dominion for a few years, played tight end, then he switched positions, gets to Georgia Tech, only appeared in four games for Georgia Tech due to an injury. And, of course, he uh, lobbied heavily for uh, Brent Key as well, but he made his impact known, certainly. But a uh, very uh, interesting uh, prospect, to say the least. Could he fit with the Falcons? Who knows? Falcons certainly have a lot of needs, though. Think about this. Definite needs for the Falcons coming into this draft. Of course, draft starts April 27th out in uh, Kansas City. So you got Casey Hayward and A.J. Terrell, cornerback. But remember, they got hurt, though. And there's a there's a – Huge lack of depth there at cornerback for the Falcons. That was exposed last year. Now, I'm not saying you spend your first-round pick on that. And you got to remember also, the Falcons have the second highest amount of cap room behind the Chicago Bears, by the way. Around $70 million, give or take, something like that. And, of course, now the uh, salary cap. Josh, you remember where the salary cap is now? It's up over $200 million. I know that. I'll have to take a uh, double-check that yeah. one. And you got you have a need at left guard as well. Probably need some receiving depth, too. Outside linebacker also, safety, center. Yeah, center especially. Now, for some reason, the center quarterback exchange, that was just as a source of uh, – that was maddening this year. But a lot of college quarterbacks, they have trouble with that because they're always in the shotgun in college. They're never under center. 
Yeah, the uh, 2023 NFL salary cap is at uh, the limit set at 224 points, so about 225 yeah, million. There you go. Yep. Yep, there you go. That's crazy. But right now, as far as the Falcons' biggest need, it's got to be all over that defensive line. Certainly you've got some uh, you've got some interesting pieces on that uh on that defense. Obviously Grady Jarrett. And you know, some of the other guys too. Abdullah Anderson's pretty good this year on the on the D line. You got some death pieces, but you need some impact guys. And I, I'm thinking you draft on defense and you supplement your offensive line with the free agents. And there's a there's a pretty good amount of uh there's a pretty good free agent class out there on the offensive line. You need some help at guard, need some help at center. Perhaps left tackle. How long before Jake Matthews maybe uh, moves over to the other tackle spot? He's almost 10 years into his uh, career now, but he's still, he's still been pretty solid and steady. Nothing great. But uh, Falcons basically have all the needs in the world. There's, there's still a lot of uh, talk out there. Lamar Jackson, come here to Atlanta, go out and get him. And I just think it would be, uh, wouldn't be very cost efficient. And people say, well, you don't know how the salary cap works. Well, I don't know. I don't know all the nuance to the salary cap, but I do know this. You would certainly have to move some money around, defer some money, kick the can down the road to accommodate him. And that's what happened with Matt Ryan. That's a big reason why this team got into so much trouble. Matt Ryan was willing to defer a lot of money. To Part of it went to Julio Jones and for other a myriad of reasons as well, but eventually you do have to pay him. And Lamar Jackson, I, I know. I know Lamar Jackson, Atlanta, that would be sexy. Atlanta? Want sizzle. They want sexy, especially their quarterback position. Michael Vick set that uh, precedent. There was nothing like it. That was must-see TV when Michael Vick was under center for the Falcons when it was going well. Same thing with Lamar Jackson, but I worry about the fact he's such a small guy and relying on running so much. I, I think about Justin Fields out there in Chicago. They have got to help him get some receivers in there. You cannot have your quarterback rushing for 1,000 yards every year. That's going to get five years off his career. And he can throw the ball. He just doesn't have anybody to throw it to. And great. Certainly he's an electric runner, fun to watch. But, you know, if that's your quarterback, if you're a Bears fan, it's like, well, he's running too much. That's going to – how long before he really starts getting hurt? I worry about that with Lamar Jackson. A lot of people thought the same about David Carr. And some people think David Carr is just absolute trash. And that's ridiculous. He's always throwing for over – 3,000 yards. I think he had a 4,000-yard season. He'll, he'll, he'll have a 2-3-to-1 touchdown interception ratio. But you're going to have to pay him a lot of money as well. Are you willing to do that? Why are people so quick to want to give up on Desmond Ritter? Four-game sample size is not a lot. And I think the most important thing about Desmond Ritter is the fact that he did get better every game he started. I mean, the first game he started, that's a difficult atmosphere. You go out to New Orleans – in a rivalry game, and that's your first NFL start. And, of course, he made some mistakes here and there, but he certainly proved that he's a much better passer than Marcus Mariota. can be every bit as uh, mobile. Now, Marcus Mariota had great speed, though. Desmond Ritter probably not as fast, but can be every bit as shifty and certainly seems to uh, get it. He doesn't seem to have uh, crazed doe eyes when he's in the huddle. See what he can do. You drafted him. And if you draft anybody in the third round, they should be starting as far as the NFL goes. Now, I know there's always an exception with quarterbacks. Sometimes your first-round quarterback will not start for a year. But usually if you're drafting the first four rounds, you should be starting in the NFL. You know how they break it down. If you're drafting the first round, you're expected to be a multi-pro bowl player. Drafting the second round, maybe 
have an eight, ten-year career and get to a couple of Pro Bowls. Third rounder, you're a consummate pro. Fourth rounder, same thing. And diminishing returns after that. But also you got to realize, too, 50% of first-round draft picks end up not panning out, especially true with our quarterbacks. And this is a league where 30% of the players are undrafted. 30% of players on NFL rosters are undrafted. I'm no owners like that because that's certainly a team-friendly deal. But I'm certainly not ready to give up on uh, Desmond Ritter yet. There are just so many other needs. And I think he can be just good enough. He could be a Trent Dilfer that could win a Super Bowl. If you get that, if you can somehow, if Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, when they put their heads together, they can somehow build that defense into something that's very formidable. Again, nothing sexier than that. A great defense, you kidding me? That appeals to the primal nature of fans who enjoy gladiator sports like football. If you have that that defense that is so shut down, you're not getting anything, they're they're pressuring the quarterback, sacking the quarterback. You can't run on them. You got some cornerbacks that uh, shut down receivers. You don't need a great quarterback then. I mean, the Falcons, one thing you can still do in the NFL, if you play good defense and you're able to run the ball, you can still win titles. You can. It will, it will never cease being effective. It might go out of style because, of course, it's sexy to throw the ball 40, 50 times. Yeah, that, that's true, but... I think also it's pretty sexy if you can rush the, rush the ball for 170 yards a game and play really good defense and hold the quarterback and the other skilled players at bay and play dominant defense. If you can somehow put together a dominant defense, that's worth seven points right there. You start a game basically up 7 nothing, you would think, and that's what I think the Falcons' priority should be. I mean, good Lord, we look at the Eagles, 72 sacks this year. Four guys with double-digit sacks. It would take the – I think if we uh, if we added up the Falcons' sack totals from the past 12 years, it wouldn't add up to 72. And, again, I know maybe sometimes the uh, sack is overemphasized, but it certainly can be a big momentum changer in a football game, though. If it's second down, second and eight, you get a sack to make it third and 20, big momentum swift, switch. But certainly, I, I just want as many resources possible devoted to that defense. Defensive line, you need some uh, secondary help. Linebacking core is pretty good. Was it Will Anderson, that kid? I think he can end up being something. Certainly right now, what a freak, at, freak of an athlete he is at 6'3", 250. Runs about a 4'4". He can be a sideline-to-sideline type guy, but the only thing about him is went to a small school, of course started out playing quarterback, and I think he played running back, then he switches to linebacker. But he could be a sideline-to-sideline guy with a little bit more seasoning and experience in coaching. That's how good he can be. But like I said, if you can run the ball, stop the run, that will never not be a recipe for winning in the NFL. And that's what I hope the Falcons uh, devote their um, resources to. I wonder what D'Amico Ryan's going to do with his uh, first, with uh, second pick, basically. And I think a lot of teams are trying to uh, get the Bears' first pick, too, as well. That. That'll be fun to see. It always is what's going to happen as far as that go. And for some reason, Stetson Bennett, who was it? Oh, it was uh, Count Chocula. Who was it? Uh, the draft guru, Count Chocula. Looks like Count Chocula with hair. Um, Mel Kuyper? Mel Kuyper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew you were talking about that widow's peak. Yeah, Mel that Kuiper. widow's peak. 
in Todd McShay. Those guys make so much money to do that every year, but they're really not all that right. And I think Todd McShay is just a little bit more accurate than Mel Kuyper. But they do do their homework, but you never really know what's going to happen when teams are in the war room and what, what comes up. But Terry Fontenot has, has the philosophy, though, draft the best player available. And I've always had an issue with that. Well, what if the best player available plays a position that you already have a lot of depth in? What if the best player available is a running back? Well, you don't see I have an issue with that right now. You have all sorts of depth at running back. So hopefully that's not pure gospel to him. And I hope the Falcons don't waste a a first-round pick on a receiver. I think Alameda Zacchaeus has been very good. And, of course, you've got Drake London. Kyle Pitts will be back and ready, tight end, hybrid, wide receiver position. So you probably need a – you could probably draft a receiver fourth, fifth round, maybe fifth, sixth round. They can come in and be impactful as well. They will not have to be wide receiver one. But I think this town has been thirsting for a dominant defense for quite some time. Slight tweaks on the O-line at guard and center maybe, maybe another tackle. But I just want, I want no part of David Carr, Lamar Jackson here down in Atlanta. I just don't want to. Of course, if they ended up down there, I'd root for them hardly, certainly. Okay, well, this is what they're doing. Let's go with it, but. I just think Desmond Ritter can be just fine. He doesn't have to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers if all the other pieces are there with him. You have that dominant defense. Have a great running game. Your quarterback doesn't have to be Pat Mahomes. It's as simple as that. And with all this money to spend and all your draft picks, I just hope uh, wise decisions are made. I just I hope it's not the new guys making the uh, same old mistakes. And I don't think that's going to be the case with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, though. Going to come back. More NFL. Solomon Wilcox is on with uh, Dukes and Bell talking all things NFL. And that's coming up at the top of the hour. We'll take a listen to that. Sports Radio, 1990 Game.